hundreds of millions of computers around the world in big buildings <laughs> sitting next to rivers to keep them cool. Hey, everybody. This is the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Welcome back for another another hang on the science couch. I don't, that's what I wanted to say, but it but it sounds it sounded <laughs> it doesn't sound right. Nope, it sounds boring <laughs> without the adjectives. <laughs> Nobody wants to hang on your sketch ass couch, man. Welcome back for another for another hang. Come hang out and have a good time. Curiosity on demand. I don't Welcome know. Back to the universe. Grab a seat. Universe. <laughs> Welcome back to Zengineering, where the universe is fucking awesome. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Um, Join us. So uh, uh, thanks for thanks for hanging out for another one. Special thanks, as always, to our Zengineers that throw us as little as a dollar on Patreon to help keep this thing going. Uh, it really does make a big difference in the little bit of expense that it, it takes us to keep this thing rolling server server space things like that we gotta but if you want to help us out over there go to patreon.com slash zengineering pod that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon right on so what's up man hey buddy hey buddy so so what are we talking about this week Ooh, well it's the second week that we've we're attempting to record this right. cast what are we talking about again this <laughs> week and I, I like mentioning that because some of our casts, I think, kick off with, this is the sixth time we've tried to talk right. about this. We're talking about uh, cryptocurrencies today and the underlying technologies. But really, we're going to talk about the cool aspects of something that everyone's, everyone, every nerd who's listening to our podcast has probably heard of something called Bitcoin. It, it, I feel like it's in popular culture it's a buzzword that's it's showing up in headlines like even people that aren't tapped into the tech world are curious about it uh but i sort of feel like it's almost a bait and switch because bitcoin is really complicated and there's a bunch of stuff <laughs> you sort of have to understand before you can even get your head around bitcoin and also bitcoin is a currency which means it's tied up in all kinds of even more complicated things about like global economies and, and you know, the actual value of a paper dollar and it just, it's, it's too, where do we start to get to what's relevant about Bitcoin? Like in, in a normal person's life. Yeah. We're here to take you on the journey of discovery into what is all this hype around Bitcoin and what kind of potential really exists here with some bold new technologies that the internet has been exploding over recently. And I don't want to bum anyone out, but I don't <laughs> think it's going to end with us telling you that you don't have to think about Bitcoin and that there isn't some kind of crazy engineering change coming in the pipeline of just how the world functions i don't i was trying so hard to not go universe broad right off the bat <laughs> there were a lot of double negatives in that too you really <laughs> fucked with everyone just now but i do have to say that your characterization today uh, is really strong so i know everyone can't see you but i hope they can hear it coming through your voice i think the seventh uh, cup of coffee has really done you well <laughs> <laughs> we had an it was an unusually long period of discussion before we even started recording today like some days it's gold and we just pop it on well this is a topic that you've been trying to get me interested in for a while but it's really dense and i haven't had the opportunity or the interest because it's been overhyped uh but after a even couple weeks of us chatting it, about it i i feel like i'm finally got the stoke well the problem is even if you understand it to pull it back to the piece that i think we we need to talk about to serve the universe <laughs> is is it's really hard because it's just a complicated thing. Is the universe our master now? Um, so in the, in the name of not diverting off of Bitcoin immediately, since the title of this episode <laughs> sort of promised it, like, you here with let's talk about why you, why you kind of have no choice but to take Bitcoin seriously right now, even though it's sort of, it's an emerging thing and there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of hemming and hawing about the state of Bitcoin. Like it's saying. a currency it's in circulation. 
at a vo- at a at a massive volume. Like, are you looking it up right now? Like, how much yeah, bit, how much how much value in Bitcoin is in circulation now? By that I mean like people are spending it on things, people are giving it to one another as money. It's it's cash. So in the last twenty four hour period, the trade volume of Bitcoin, so like the the U.S. dollar equivalent of exchange, uh, is over a hundred million dollars in the last twenty four hours. So that's probably nothing compared to, I don't know what the like New York Stock Exchange or what the American economy or the US dollar looks like, but that's very significant. In the last 24 hours, $100 million in transactions has happened using Bitcoin. Huge. So that's, so that's if, the, if a switch was flipped and Bitcoin were turned off overnight. There's a $25 billion market cap for Bitcoin right now. That's how much, that's how much Bitcoin is... In circulation is not really the right word. We'll get to it in the episode, but that's the value, right? If we switched off Bitcoin, $25 billion in actual exchangeable currency would disappear. You can go buy rugs on, on Overstock right now with Bitcoin. That's weird. And this is a, this is a strange thing. I can't believe it's taken me so long to listen to you and, and learn more about it. <laughs> it, it. Yeah. Well, but so I think what's important there, though, is just to realize that that's, that's how much money, like, it's hard to get your head around but that's how much money in dollars, American dollars, that people have spent in exchange for Bitcoin that they are now using in place of that dollar. And so it's not that that, that $25 billion like goes away and the American dollar collapses also, but there are $25 billion worth of people that if that money went away would be looking for someone's head because of the amount of money that they just lost. They'd be upset. Right, because like they want to know who real, to sue. There was that, there's real investment in getting this money. You didn't just exchange U.S. dollars for it necessarily, but in a lot of cases, people have. It's an investment market, so right. but, it's a weird space. But, but it's and, yeah, and that's why it gets crazy, right? Because you're not because you're not even just it's not even just that they traded dollars for the bitcoins on an exchange. Like that's one way. You can also get it by paying for the electricity to run a computer Ooh. to sustain the system. This is right. where it gets weird and where we should probably cut ourselves off. And so, you so might what it. we got to what we got to start back at is what's the structure? Like what's the underlying is it why 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 did the internet cause this to happen? Couple there 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 are a couple interesting aspects of what Bitcoin is that we can then break down into kind of the history of how this came to be. So, Bitcoin at a, at a very simple explanation, it's a distributed uh monetary system that's very secure uh and tracks transactions in a way that we've never seen in the world before right so i guess the first step really is bitcoin can't exist without the internet yeah right so we gotta do our like runs on i'm gonna i'm gonna back it up to cave paintings again (laughs) essentially the first ledgers when people started using tick marks to track (laughs) how many like shiny rocks they had in their cave to trade for fish Okay, so let's back it up. So, so never mind the internet. Let's talk about the idea of a ledger, right? Like when you watch when you watch a, a heist movie, and they got to go chase some mobster to get the books. When they talk about cooking the books, you know, in that kind of movie, like what they're talking about is literally a paper book. It's called. You can look it up on Amazon. It's called a ledger book, and you look it up, and it has a structure of table in it with slots for putting in a date an ID number, a name, and a transaction. Like balancing your checkbook. Right, it's a checkbook. It's, and it's so, a checkbook. So that idea of a ledger is a thing to, I feel like, keep in your mind the whole time because that's also how the internet works. When you hear somebody say a database, you know, like, oh, I'm a database engineer. They're, they, they, they're a ledger maintenance person. Yeah, the whole internet. Essentially. Every website, really the whole universe runs on this, but the internet in particular, like you go to a website and you click on things and a computer tracks what you clicked on. It's like Adam clicked on this button over here and it made this thing happen. So I'm going to record it. And the next time he comes back to the site, I'll remember that he clicked on it and then I'll make the site do the thing that he clicked on it for. So you're just but, tracking or he's going to put in his name and then I'll remember his name's there and I'll display it next time he comes back. Well, and when you say tracking, you don't mean it in a creepy sense, right? Like I think I think the place that the thing None that of I think of when you say tracking <laughs> is like, oh, they know what I'm doing. It's like, no, the computer is just paying attention. 
Well, they and do know what you're doing, but it's not yeah, creepy. But, <laughs> we don't want to talk about that because it sounds creepy. <laughs> the point is they have to know what you're doing because if they don't, the internet can't exist and we can't have all the cool things that we want. Like Amazon needs to know that you clicked on that button so it can do all the proper things so that are supposed to thing. happen when you click on that button. It's just like your TV knowing that you clicked the power button, but your TV is not connected to other TVs, so no one's worried about it. But, so what's what's kind of interesting there is this, so a, a website is made up generally of a chunk of code that explains what that button is supposed to do when you click it, and then a database that contains all of the associated information that's being gathered or passed left or right, or all of this stuff that's not the function of the site, but the actual data. Yeah, and like that's how all it kept. Works. What your information about you, your user, and then kind of what you've done on the site to make sure that the site continues to function properly. Like right. if you're on, think of Spotify, for instance. Spotify is full of transactions. You create an account there. You log in. You pick a username. You give it your email and a password. And then you log in and you like listen to music and you like songs. And as you do that... Spotify tracks that information so they can play songs you like more often and so that you can go back and look at a playlist. And so it's just most websites really break down to that conceptually. They're just systems where they're kind of tracking interaction and they they provide a service based on stuff that you do with them. Pr prior to the web, I think the analogy we're trying to get to here is kind of prior to the web to get information, you had to go to a central authority. You had to go to like a library. You had to go to the Library of Congress or your local public library, or you had to go to an expert. You had to go talk to a professor to learn about a topic. And all of a sudden, the internet came on and people said, hey, wait, so I can I can like get one of these things called a computer and run it at home. And then I can just like put all my papers from school up there or I can shoot. I can just start to write articles about things going on in my life and share them. And then all of a sudden, the the core value of a centralized public library in a city was diminished a little bit because all of a sudden the the responsibility for maintaining information had been spread out to more people. It had been spread out to more computers. So not necessarily passing judgment on the quality of content yet. 20 years ago, the value of information on someone's home computer versus the value at the public library probably wasn't that high. But now when you can go on the internet and look up a million articles on any topic you want to learn about, there's, there's serious... Uh, a competition for the library and it's why people don't go to libraries as often anymore and we can debate well, <laughs> debate what that's doing to the world at the moment but in the the internet in the sense of this shared responsibility and this uh decentralized service and sharing of information was a really interesting first step right it said all this information doesn't need to just be in a book in books at the library we're going to kind of spread these books out we'll spread the information out it'll be on lots of computers but on the at this first step there was still like a book on a computer maybe you could download uh the works of william shakespeare from a hundred different people's computers but there was still only it was still like you'd get the book from a computer and so let's back it up one more piece which mm -hmm. is this, this is redundant with the episode we already did <clears throat> the idea of like tcip and http like these weird things that everybody is familiar with now you type http and, and a website comes up and slash slash www. Right. It stands for hypertext transfer protocol. Like what you're doing is you're pulling up a certain type of file that has agreed to communicate information based on a certain set of rules. And what they've done is instead of, instead of saying, well, we'll do this for you and then just give it to you, which is data packed, like we were just talking about and, and hard to do through the size of pipes that the internet is right now. Like instead we're saying, but if you have this set of instructions and we all agree to these instructions, then instead I can just stream you a, a text file and you can reconstitute the thing on the other side the way that it needs to be. It's the same thing humans do at a party. When you meet someone, you shake their hand, you look them in the eye, you say, hey, what's up? They say, hey, what's up? Hi, I'm Adam. Hi, I'm Brian. And then you proceed to have a conversation. And so we've basically come up with all these different ways for computers to do the same kind of thing. They, they shake hands, they meet each other. Hey, you seem like a nice computer. I'm going to talk to you now. And then they share information. And so we've got all these protocols for computers to talk to each other. Right. And so 
So once something is just an agreement about how everyone's going to communicate, like what I think is funny about the, what you're just saying about the party is how much <laughs> information is packed in there that you don't tons. You don't really like I used to, one of my jokes about online dating that I used to bring up all the time was just like, at the very least, it's a much better way to meet somebody than at a bar because at a bar, like the only data contained in a possible mate's presence at a bar is not even necessarily that they like to drink. It's that they're <laughs> willing to assent to the convention that you go to the place where drinking happens in order to meet members of the opposite sex. They subscribe to the drinking protocol. Right. You're starting at a baseline Whoa. of we're in a place where we probably are trying to meet other people that is generally populated by all sorts of substances to lubricate that Everyone's process. Everyone's security has been disabled. <laughs> right. <laughs> Your security has been disabled. Your visual acuity has been <laughs> lowered. It's dark. It's loud. Oh. The uh, From a data analysis standpoint, what a terrible way to meet people. Well, I think it's really interesting that you uh, mentioned there the amount of information that's exchanged when you meet someone because... That is what's happening when you go to a website, the same thing happens. You don't see it in your web browser because it's, it's abstracted. You don't need to know that all this information is being exchanged, but all this explicit information is going back and forth. Hey, what are you? Are you a web server? Can I get a web page from you? Yeah, I'm a web server. Okay, what software are you running? What version are you running? What are you going to send back to me? Here's what I'm looking for. And you do the same thing in a conversation with someone. When you meet someone, you're evaluating like, oh, he's wearing a red hat. I have a red hat. I like red hats. Could we talk about red hats? The, the hat says Boston on it. Okay, we can talk about the Red Sox. We can maybe <laughs> talk about the Red Sox. And then we're super let down when I explain to them like, oh, it was a gift. I don't. Oh, no, my my computer protocol doesn't work the way I expected it to. The software uh, versions don't match up. Uh, I'm going to slowly back away. <laughs> that happens all the time in conversation. Yeah. And that happens with computers too, but they, they don't then feel bad. They just disconnect and go yeah. do something else. Right. It's not a or they squishy. just sit there idly, which is what nerds do at parties. So the web, the web is a communication protocol. You're able to kick a certain amount of processing down the road or a certain amount of sort of data handling. Like yes. there's all these problems that are hard to do at a big volume that if you can come up with just a communication protocol for how to do such that it solves any given problem, mm -hmm. you can diffuse this system where it's not a server's central job to hold a movie file or a music file and send it to you. If you can come up with a system where the fact that the dude next door to me, like in the apartment next door, also has that file can be of service, then now you've only got to pitch that data, that electricity through a cable to me from that distance instead of from a hundred miles away at the server that I just talked about onto my computer, which is one is, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny to talk about cause it's electricity and it's the speed of light, but it still takes longer to get from a hundred miles away to my computer. And it uses more of it door to my computer. So it uses more electricity. Tons more. Right. Tons. Damn it. I'm not supposed to say tons anymore. And so my brother's been calling me out for episode after episode. <laughs> it's very nondescript. <laughs> It's not, it's not the correct unit ever. A lot. Yeah, that's fine. The problem with tons is it's got a colloquial meaning, but it actually is a unit of measurement. Uh, totally. Yeah, it's very misleading. You said a whole lot. Where does that but come from? A lot is a thing. A lot used to be like a clump of, of like wheat How many or lots? Something. Are you talking a couple acres? A bushel or a peck? A parsec. So that gets us to BitTorrent, which is there was a problem of moving files around. It was hard to get a music file from one place to another when people had slow internet. Because it was just a big chunk of compressed data that all needed to be on your computer eventually so that you could play the digital file. And so talk about how BitTorrent solved that, because I think it's a good sort of introduction to... Yeah, so... It, or Napster. Been, Start with Napster. That's uh, the one everybody knows, right? Napster yeah, so killed Napster's, the music business. Napster's the same thing that happened with books, but it turns out that you don't get the same kind of instant gratification from reading a 500-page novel that you do from listening to a three-minute song. So the internet came on and all of a sudden all this information that was like hit, sitting in books and s sitting places was like started to be distributed around computers. People could share information. Then someone said, then, well, all of a sudden we had both the bandwidth and the, the file types were created to digitize music. So all of a sudden and music no longer. Make them small enough. Make them small smaller. Enough. 
It was small enough, and it was a digital file that you could put on a computer, a digital device, MP3s, essentially. They were small enough, and the internet had become fast enough that you could share music digitally now. So all of a sudden, a song that I used to have to record onto a mix, it's just hard to ship records to people. So if you wanted, if you had a record that you wanted to share with me 20 years ago, you had to to go cut a a new record and then send it via Pony Express to my house. I had to send you a piece of plastic. All of a sudden, we were able to digitize music like 20 years ago. 20 fucking years ago? That is right. It was in high school that I started downloading MP3s. Jeez. Oh, at least my time calculation yeah. unit is still working appropriately. Um, so Napster was a huge success because all of a sudden there weren't mixtapes anymore. I could just distribute my favorite song to every friend I have. And it basically cost nothing. It went over the internet. So all you were really paying for was access to AOL or however you were getting online. And so all of a sudden music, the same thing that has kind of been happening with libraries, that's not a perfect example, but music now all of a sudden you were just distributing it to other computers. And so I had my songs on my computer and I could just give them to you and in an afternoon you could download them and then you had them. So Napster was not necessarily very good for like movies because what Mm -hmm. Napster was, was a central database of people who had files who via a client on their computer called Napster were willing to share those files Mm -hmm. you could look up oh this person has this file it would find the closest geographic person to you that had that file and then start sending it to you based on so like if you were on napster on a college network it was just a bonanza it was because everyone was literally within 10 miles of you you could all of a sudden download every song ever instantly it was was crazy i remember when that happened and so what napster did is provided a service where it said okay here's here we you'll We'll set up a protocol by which instead of going through the servers and the internet, you can talk through the same pipes directly to this person in the dorm room next to yours Mm -hmm. without needing to know the guy and needing to have an awkward interaction where you go, hey, man, I like the Red Sox, too. Can you give me a copy of that music? You no longer needed to know people to get music. Essentially, music, when Napster came, the world realized, when Napster came online, people, the world realized that music was no longer protected by a physicality it was now a digital a digital concept that could be shared infinitely between everyone and it, and that that has never stopped pandora's box was opened with digital music and all of a sudden the world realized whoa everything is about to be digitized and that means all of these systems that have been set up to maintain these physical things that have up to this point been been uh no mixtapes <laughs> uh, these mixtapes that people have been mailing around and the economy that supports them and the business that generates them and stamps them and right. sells them wait a minute this shit is we about to get don't need all that but so what's so the interesting piece that's the gap between napster and BitTorrent, which is a legal nugget it's a cl- it's actually a case that you study in copyright law and it's a neat technical nugget down napster is by telling them that it was illegal for them to have a database of people that held these songs that was willing that were willing to trade them because they were facilitating copyright violation. So yep. then there were services called like Kazaa, LimeWire, there were a bunch of intermediaries before we got to BitTorrent that cut out the database. And so they were like, "Cool, we don't actually need the database if we also decentralize that." So if we don't put that in a central place where the government can come and say, turn off that computer, if you can put it on every computer that's taking part also, then you would have to shut down every computer that's taking part in order for that list of who's got what songs to actually go away. And a list of who's got what songs is not a big enough file that you can't just plop it into the client itself and have it persist as long as someone is running that client. And so the answer to Napster was, cool, we're going to decentralize even further so that you can't come catch us. And I think this is all fascinating because to me, from like a sentimental standpoint, it it represents how important music is to people. Like music is such a satisfying and important art form for humanity that we essentially declared it a, a, a right. <laughs> like You don't yeah. get to monetize this. Everyone should just have it. If we take this back to the library analogy, it shows an interesting progression in how these technologies are working. And it's neat because you see not only the technology progress, but you see kind of the 
the forces that made it progress that way. And so with the library analogy, the internet initially was like, okay, well, maybe we can digitize some books and put them on other computers so people can get to them, not just from the library. And you can download more than one copy at a time, right? Like at the library, if the book's checked out, you're out of luck. On a website, I can go read the same book you're reading. And so now all of a sudden this distributed uh, system is available where not only can I download the book from your website while someone else downloads it, but if that book is on multiple computers, I don't even need to download the whole book from you anymore. I can just download a page at a time and reconstitute the book or shit, download a sentence at a time or a word at a time. And my computer re rebuilds that book. And so you can see how this progresses to a very weird space all of a sudden where we're like, once again, reproducing reality in this strange distributed sense. Well, and so then I think the, the interesting thing to understand there, which is like what we just walked you through Napster and these things that you're, you're probably familiar with are not taking, they're not happening. They're happening via the internet. They're not happening via the web. The, the thing that's important to recognize here is just that the World Wide Web, what we think of as www.facebook.com, these web pages, that enabled, that drove us as a species to put computers everywhere. The ability to go get information off of a web page forced us to, drew us out and encouraged us to build computer networks. And so now there are hundreds of millions, I think, millions if not hundreds of millions maybe billions of computers certainly billions if you count smartphones of these networked computational devices all over the planet in people's pockets in server rooms in homes i'm standing in front of two or three of them right now and so we have this network of computers that can do so much more than just serve web pages that is barely scratching the surface of what they can do and what they are doing already is yeah, the, the, the internet is the computers and the wires that connect them and the satellites that connect them and the software that runs on them that lets them talk to each other it's it's this huge architecture uh that this huge distributed system of millions of computers and people so using them yeah so that's the important idea right this distributed system this whole system was developed to hide launch codes right like so what a system that's distributed like this like the internet to turn off the internet is a globally difficult thing to pull off. Like it really, at this point would take such a massive catastrophe to shut off the internet that we would not be worried about the fact that we didn't have internet. Oh yeah. You're not going to be checking Facebook. If the you would be comes. worried about where your next meal is going to come from <clears throat> because you don't know how to operate a bow and arrow. There will definitely be zombies. <laughs> if you, when the internet goes down, it will definitely be because of zombies. <laughs> uh, but but i mean it sounds extreme right but it was a system that was developed and continued to propagate and they've used the same protocol to develop it literally by the u.s government in order to hide launch codes so there isn't a centralized node that you can blow up that'll cause all of tcp ip to go away mm -hmm. there are ways you could seriously fuck it up by blowing up centralized servers and stuff but like to completely make the internet go away pretty hard to do it plays into the Bitcoin and the blockchain thing when we talk about the security of a decentralized system. But but I think Napster is a perfect example. Nobody's trying to take down BitTorrent. The extent to which the government is still trying to take down BitTorrent because it facilitates uh, piracy, they're still just doing the same thing they did with Napster. They're taking down the websites that allow me to know the BitTorrent address that I should take ping. down BitTorrent in order to steal a thing, but they can't take BitTorrent down because you would literally have to take out a billion computers you'd have to, <clears> all you'd have at to once. Seize every computer on earth that's running that software and it's millions, if not hundreds of millions of computers. So it's been essentially, that's what's so interesting. It's a biological about scale because like, it's like, it's like trying to wipe out the human race. The hu as long as there's two of us left of a male and a female, you've not wiped out the human race. Right. As long as there so are two BitTorrent computers about... to talk to one another, one another, it still exists as a way to talk to one another, and they can pop a third on and it'll work. That's what's so interesting about file sharing and that I don't know if everyone appreciates is that we've passed a point where you cannot stop it anymore. So despite legislation that is that might try to do it, despite... The fact that maybe we should, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to pirate music and movies. 
despite that, you cannot ever stop it again. It has been made into a system now that has distributed globally at a capacity that we cannot go backwards from here. And so it's in in a lot of in a lot of like philosophical arguments like this, people say, well, it seems like it should be this way, but it just is that way now forever, as long as computers exist on Earth. And so we kind of should just learn to live with that and start to make progress from that point forward. That's why we're here. Damn Welcome right. to engineering, folks. Yours <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> um, so, so the so I think talking about Napster and all that stuff gets you to this understanding of sort of a it's a good way to get your head around a place where a decentralized network exists already, and you can see pretty easily how they've failed to to take it down. Like you heard about Napster getting shut down, but you haven't heard about BitTorrent getting shut down to the point that people have maybe forgotten that you can pirate music because it's gotten so quiet <laughs> and easy to get it via the legal means, but you can still pirate anything you want, anytime you want, if you know what to do, because the underlying thing that they were using at the time that the, the music industry got shaken up hasn't gone away and they can't make it go away. So let's talk about, so never mind the, the underlying tech. Let's look, talk about a web service that everybody uses very frequently, like Facebook. Mm -hmm. I have to log in to get into Facebook. Mm -hmm. And if I don't log in, I can't see any of the things that are on Facebook. So, so what does Facebook have that it's putting behind this encrypted password situation so that Facebook, I'm willing to give them money for or whatever? You're basically, users of Facebook are basically giving Facebook their social interactions, their ideas, their memories, their pictures, their comments, their conversations with friends, you're putting them on Facebook servers to store them there. You want to keep them there so you can go back and look at them. Facebook, I always have described it as like a uh, family photo album, but for the whole world and not just for family, it's for everyone you've ever met that you are friends with. And so you are giving Facebook information you're giving it something of value to you and saying hey will you keep this somewhere for me and then let me get to it when i need to i'll log in let's keep it secure uh and then you and then facebook has become this centralized source facebook has millions of computers on which reside every selfie i've ever taken that i've uploaded to the internet and so they they control that it feels like it's a service they provide to us but if they wanted to they could turn it off tomorrow if something bad happened and a bunch of their computers blew up, part of that system would disappear. So they're this centralized, they're a bank of our, we have banked our memories on right. Facebook. Well, and that's where I think it gets us to banks because you're talking about actually banking this stuff, right? And and it's funny because like, who would you say has more? So, you know, having built this, this, this system where what they centralized is the storage and access and delivery and interconnection with other people, of of your memories and your and your activities and your interests banks have done the same thing with your money mm -hmm. they've digitized it which means it's not like the fact that i have a certain amount of money in a bank account with bank of america doesn't mean that they have a safe and that safe has my bills in it and they're in a bag with my name on it and i can go just get it whenever i want it's all digitized. It's all ones and zeros. It digitized all it, decades ago. All they have is a database of financial transactions and value that is, you know, it's it, it, ones and zeros meant to represent that I have money. And an important difference here is that my selfies and my memories, my conversations with friends cannot be traded for goods and services. So if Facebook goes away tomorrow, the world continues to work. If a central bank collapses in a major country, everyone in that country starts to starve tomorrow. And so because this centralized isn't good to pay for anything. Right. Because because you're this centralized this contract that runs that allows you to survive, allows you to buy things, to have a job, to go get a car, to go get food, to buy electricity money if something bad happens with banking it causes major problems for the country for the world for the entire economic system there's another important distinction between our memories which we bank on facebook and our dollar bills that we bank with a bank that we put in bank of america and that distinction is that dollar bills 
if Facebook goes away, that distinction is if Facebook goes away tomorrow, I still retain my memories. You still remember the conversation that I had. There's still something that I'm keeping in me that's distributed amongst the population. And with a bank, exactly like you're saying, you don't have any control over that database. You don't know what they're doing with security. I give them my dollar bills. And if Bank of America goes away tomorrow, my dollar bills are lost. It doesn't matter that I remember that I had them. The value of them is completely wiped away. And so there's already Facebook is a good representation of us where we've already distributed that. We're just using Facebook as kind of a platform to make our memories even better. By interconnecting them with other people's memories, Mm -hmm. which is actually a really relevant point, because if you want to talk about the value of money, you can talk about the economic value of money, like why does it have value in the system? But why does it have value to a person? It, it I can't do anything with money except like roll it up to snort things. There are no other people. Use it to cut things. Yeah, like the value of giving you a dollar is that I can give it to you and get a thing for it and that it, 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 it represents a transaction having taken place. It allows you to have transactions with other people. And so part of the, one of the things when you talk about security for Bank of America or any bank, like part of what they're doing is they're recording these transactions essentially forever in their database so that if you say to Bank of America via court order or with a request as a customer, you can get proof that you can back up with evidence that a certain transaction took place. I gave you this much money in exchange for the deed to your house. And that was a real estate transaction. And if you ever contest it and I have to sue you, here's this record that Bank of America controls. But if I ever disengage from Bank of America's system, I don't have access to that anymore, which means that Bank of America is now this institution that if I want to be able to back up that I own my house, I can never detach from. You have to trust that Bank of America is going to be there to support you and that they're going to have correctly calculated and stored all of these transactions. And so what is it that a bank is actually controlling that makes it so that I'm willing to give them money in order to have access to my money? (laughs) That's a good way to put it. I need to put in a login and a password to get past their wall to prove that I'm allowed to take part in the system that they've set up. Well, but if I prove that I'm there, then I have all this different stuff and they're providing all these services. Before that, I think it's important to make a point that you made to me the other day that I hadn't really thought about in that banks and basically our financial system uh, has already already taken advantage of the internet. They already digitized money. They started digitizing it with credit cards after World War II when the credit card was invented. This isn't something that's been around forever. The credit card was invented by banks well, to make money. So the next natural extension of banking and what this new technology enables is for it to do the same thing that we did with files to our money and our finance system. And so what banks are doing is aggregating transaction data. The fact that the value for money doesn't come from, it's not inherent. It comes from the ability to use it in a transaction. It's not really a record of value. It's a record of transactions with that value. Like they're at least one-to-one in terms of importance in the Mm -hmm. system, which is a new, it's not a new thing. It's just the thing that we don't have access to right now because it's behind banks. Banks control the transaction data. They give you an aggregate of what's happened and you're, you're expected to maintain your checkbook at home to make sure there's not a bank error against your favor. Right. I think part of the part of what has made Bitcoin and the underlying technology blockchain appealing to people is that we don't trust big banks. And for a lot of different reasons, that's a very like broad statement and there's a lot of underlying like economic theory that drives all these different things that can happen and that can go on, but people have an inherent distrust of big institutions. And I think that has really become uh, emboldened in people in a modern era where we're recognizing that a lot of power can be redistributed to people. A lot of, especially in a digital realm, uh, it became so obvious to people that the record industry isn't needed in the same way that we always thought it was as soon as music was digitized. And so blockchain and Bitcoin 
enable a technology that remove some of the necessary aspects of a centralized bank or a centralized government monitoring money exchange, monitoring the value, controlling the value, messing with the markets, tracking the interactions of what I'm buying and selling, and then also kind of doing it all secretly. And then on the backside, making money on your money, because that's the underlying aspect of a bank. People forget that banks are businesses. They exist because they discovered a way, hey, man, give me your money, I'll put it in a safe, and then I'm going to go do other stuff with it. And so that is useful that does a lot of things and that's not necessarily going to go away in that capacity but there's an aspect of that that's the middleman just like the music industry or just like the car salesman like if i can buy my car directly from the manufacturer i can get a better deal i don't need to employ the thing that's going on in the middle and banks kind of sit in the middle and they extract billions and billions of dollars in all kinds of weird transaction fees and when you have an institution that stands to gain financially from I don't want to say not telling you the truth but by making it so that they have a hundred percent control of what's Mm -hmm. presented to you as the truth then I'm aware that they could really easily manipulate a certain thing like I trust Bank of America when I go to Bank of America's website partially because of an awareness of a series of laws I trust the number they tell me for how much money I have. But I could go sign in tomorrow, and with a tiny little tweak in a database, that number could be different. And then I would want to call them up and go, hey, guys, what happened here? And they could just never take your call. Right. What would you do about it? Good luck. Your bank account now says zero. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know, man. (laughs) Manager's not here. But I guess like what I'm trying to get to is the idea that if what they're really controlling is this transaction data, this trust in the fact that this representation, this number that they have in a database that I see when I log into the website actually represents the amount of dollars in, in wealth I have associated with my my login, which is then through the bank associated with my like identifiers, like my social soul. security number. Your soul. A way to solve that problem would be to just make it all public. Like if the whole system was just 100% viewable to anyone that wanted to look at it, then Bank of America doesn't have anything to control anymore. But then there's a weird problem with that where then everyone could know what I spend my money on. Mm -hmm. You know, which for one, like governments really don't like, but I don't really like that either. I'm ashamed of how much candy I eat. You know? <laughs> I was going to go to candy too, actually. I was going to go in the ice cream realm though. But so the he... blockchain, the underlying thing with Bitcoin solves one of those problems. So they said, what we're going to do is instead of encrypting the database, we're going to encrypt each piece of it and make it public. At this point, it's kind of like, I think we've, we've teed up enough stuff that you can introduce this idea of what the blockchain is, which is a distributed, which we talked about, public which we just kind of hit on ledger, but the block. So it's a way of having a database and it's a way of distributing the persistence of that database. And then in some cases like Bitcoin, it's also public. You'd think that that also means that there's no privacy. And this kicks back to our encryption episode, because this is where the crypto comes in and into this whole system, which is where it starts to get weird. Cause it sounds like spies and, Cryptocurrency is definitely like a evil mastermind name for something awful. <laughs> right. It's not shouldn't be the name of, of uh, potentially the future of our economic systems. What you said last time we tried to record this was you said it's it sounds like the kind of things that 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 like nation states deal with. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's cr- there's a creepy KGB cryptocurrency and, thing going on between right. the United States and the USSR. <laughs> oh. And James Bond is on the case. But Encryption is actually the solution. And so one of the things that like a bank is providing is that whole database is encrypted. And so unless somebody puts effort into hacking in to look at all the transactions that Bank of America has in their database, they can't see any of the stuff that I've been doing. And so there's privacy, but that privacy comes from you need my password to see what's on the database. And if you don't have my password, you got to do a shitload of work. But if you do that work, then you can see all of the transactions for everyone inside and, the system. And more importantly, 
And this is something that's overlooked, I think, in the U.S. because we don't think of this as a problem. But globally, this is a huge problem. More importantly, if you get into Bank of America, you can change the ledger and you can change the history. And so all of a sudden, I can make your account look like it's zero dollars. The an, an fundamental aspect of blockchain is that once a transaction is marked, once it has been verified, and once it has been stored into this distributed database, this distributed financial ledger, if you're using something like Bitcoin, it can never be undone. It can never be changed. Even if you get in there and see it, because it's public, by nature it's public, even if you get in and see it, you can't change it. Part of where this came from is they have systems for working on uh, software collaboratively, where what they realized is if you're going to work on a really complicated document with a whole bunch of people, if all you store is the state of the document, it gets really messy really fast because people change things and those things mean other things. And like, think about just trying to write a single sentence with a whole bunch of people. If somebody changes the verb, the whole sentence means a completely different thing. And if you didn't get to watch that change happen and the context of that change, you have no idea what it means. So you're only a couple iterations away from any given sentence, not meaning the thing you need it to mean anymore. But if what you track instead is not that this word was here and now it's not, if all you're seeing is the sentence and then you leave and you come back and the word changed and the sentence completely changed and you don't know what happened, you you're losing a whole bunch of information in there. And what you're losing is the transaction information. And so what programmers worked up is a solid way to have a system of, of what they call version control, where what's stored is, is the data, but also the record of how the data got to be to the point that it is. So instead of just having a slot where hackers can get in and change the 100,000 down to 10,000, and now you suddenly have that much less money, what it records is the fact of that value, the representation of the money you have, and also the fact that at this timestamp, it was edited by this identity stamp. And if you keep that forever, you can start to have this transaction of this, this record of public transactions that anyone can check for consistency anytime that they want to, as long as they understand the protocol by which you do that. And then it also will record the fact that they checked. And so you can start to have these systems where not only do you have a lease, but you have a lease that has stood up for this many times that it's been checked, which in a s essence is no different than what's happening when you do the legal due diligence on uh, like a chain of title before you buy a house. Just a lawyer does it at the hall of records by hand and they check each of the records leading up to you're supposed to own this house because the deed was transferred to you in exchange for cash and that's recorded. If that's all in a public ledger and encrypted, a computer can do all that instantaneously. <clears throat> and the reason that blockchain is secure, despite being public, as a way to store data, as a methodology for store it for... So that's part of the thing that's tricky here is like there is no the blockchain like there is the internet, even though people say that all the time. There are certain blockchains started for certain purposes. So like that media chain IO company that Spotify bought, they control a blockchain methodology based registry of media right. rights ownership. There's a blockchain for Bitcoin. So like if you wanted to make a real estate blockchain or a, a physical property blockchain, you can put whatever you want in those slots. I mean, it does become bigger data that you've got to pass around. But if you can build a client to have those transactions, you can support a blockchain of leases. And part of what Ethereum's doing is it's it's making room for bigger data files mm -hmm. and it's and it's building a way for those data files to include triggers. And so you can put a lease in an Ethereum blockchain where as soon as that money's transferred and now it's in your control, it just jumps over into being in their control. Like the transfer of the lease is automated based on protocol that you can write into an Ethereum blockchain based on their, their code. So in that case, the encrypted lease has a data pattern to it. And I'm saying I'm transferring this pattern to this person. And so that transaction mm -hmm. is public, but you can't see the text of the lease. You can't pull my address and my social security number off sure. of it. Sure. But okay, you can sure. verify that this chunk of encrypted data moved from one place to another as they say that it did okay. based on the transaction data. I'm totally on board with that. Right. The, the fact that your lease there is encrypted is not anything new. That's just 
old school encryption technology layered on top of the technology no but the idea that you should encrypt each one separately and put it in a database and then make that database public because if each one is encrypted it doesn't matter that it's public the i one of the problems that the blockchain solves is the uh double spend problem right the idea that happens with checks if i go to a store down the street i can write a check to buy something and then go to the store right next door and do it again and so that's why banking transactions take like multiple days because they need to get a check from the vendor then they need to hold it and make sure you didn't write another check in the next couple days and if you didn't then they pass it through and it transacts the blockchain has to do the same thing and so for that like 10 minute period it needs to make sure that you don't register other that your user id doesn't register another transaction with the same bitcoin and so inherently those transactions have to be public forever because I have to also be able to go back into previous chains and make sure that you didn't transact that Bitcoin a long time ago and are now trying to do it again. And so just the physical transaction, like it doesn't need to be Bitcoin either. It just the transaction of like land, right? It needs to show that property A was transferred seven uh, blocks ago. Uh, and I need to be able to go look that up. Well, and so this is the part that's that's interesting, right? Because the question is, how do you, how do you give up... Th- if, if if you can come up with a system to give up access to the mm-hmm. transaction information that you just talked about without giving up the privacy of what that transaction was about, mm-hmm. then, then you create a system where you can automate this whole subset of things that banks and lawyers mm-hmm. and other people handle for us right now that are all bound by other things that, that create trust for us because you mm-hmm. can you can bring a malpractice suit against the lawyer. You can sue a bank. Like mm-hmm. there are all these mechanisms that make it so that we trust these banks. Right. If the whole thing is just public and computers can do it with the same way that we were talking about conversations at parties, then you can just have them check automatically. And if it doesn't match what it's supposed to match, they just return a big red X mm-hmm. and you just go, I just checked and something's bogus here. I think we did a really good job of describing how the same technology just happened with music i think we should jump back uh so now we have if you take the library analogy banks do this blah 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 and this new tech all that technology we just talked about with distributed file sharing for music is now applicable to our financial systems or contracts and literally let's just do what you always tell me to do let's just state the facts it's secure there's an interesting trade-off of like public and private that you get for this other type of security The important security here is that the transactions are locked in forever. And to get that capability, you have to unlock what the transactions were. That's the trade-off between traditional banking where you can't see the transactions, but they can change them. Now you can't change them, but but we can all see the transactions. It's like the inevitable trade in the system. And it functions on the distributed system that file sharing functioned on. So the idea that we can now share every song in the world should make that's the warm and fuzzy i think that we layered in that we did a really good job with is that now we can do the same thing that happened with music but with the financial system you can see what's going on which bigger implications could be we could avoid horrible real estate problems well, so maybe real estate for, right so maybe this is the idea that so the same thing that happened with music because it was a system that was that important to us we've done you know we is happening to banks and it's happening to financial systems. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting flip-flop where what happened with the music system was we said, you know, I'm not going to hide my ownership of this file anymore. I'm going to tell everybody about it and I'm going to tell them that they can have it if they want. So it made this piece public. And what you could conceivably do with banks is flip this idea like that you said really well of currently you can't see the transactions, but you can see the bank telling you that they happened and you're trusting the bank. If you flip that to you can see everything, but it doesn't mean anything to you, it means that you can verify transactions without giving up any of the security. That is, you don't want people to know what music you're listening to, essentially. And they can't change transactions. And they also that's can't the, change that's the big transactions because they're... Right now- we trust Bank of America because it's the Bank of America, whatever. It's got an American flag as its logo. But if we lived in, in a small country or something bad happens in our country, 
We might not be able to trust Bank of America. If they make a mistake in their transactions, there's nothing we can do about it. And so this trade-off to make the transactions public, blockchain, Bitcoin, allows us to all of a sudden make sure that those transactions are locked in stone forever. Right. And that idea of like the too big to fail is definitely a term that people have have heard. Well, like what happened with the financial bubble that we ran into is we found out that they aren't actually too big to fail. They're, they almost did. And the <laughs> term too big to fail came from the government saying, oh man, if these fail, like we have a crisis on our hands. We're going to give them a whole bunch of money and bail them out so that they don't fail so that this whole system doesn't fall apart. So like the idea that, oh, well, the banks won't fail. That's not true. That central authority that controls this whole thing could go away overnight like it has in Venezuela. And if that happens, your money isn't worth anything. So it it's not just and I and I don't mean it, it like it sounds like when I start to talk that way it sounds like I'm I'm getting into this like overthrow the government territory. <laughs> I'm not. It just explains why we would have motivation on this like biological elemental level to decentralize this system because everywhere else we've applied a sort of decentralized system where we offload the compute and the storage and the, all that kind of stuff by a system where we have a public code of communication instead of a centralized authority that does the communication for us so we don't have to think about it. Everywhere we have that, we've only seen good from it for each person. For the Insti for the individual. Right. For the for common the person, industry. right? Not for the centralized system. Yeah, for the music industry, uh, not so much. It's right? upheaval for the centralized system, which then also can cause problems for the individual, but it kind of feels like we're headed in the right direction. Well, and so... And more, more interestingly, kind of back to what we were saying about file sharing, we can't turn that off. It cannot go away ever again. It exists now, and because of its nature, it can't be killed. It's like going to try to kill every oak tree on Earth. It's very, very difficult to do, and it doesn't really happen. Although humans so might be very reason, good at killing certain species. The Same thing I... is happening with banking. As these technologies get applied, it's decentralizing, and you can't stop it. Right. And so so Bitcoin is an application of, of this that uses that is meant to disrupt banking. And the reason that I'm always like, no, but you have to talk about it, even though it's weird, is because I just I, th I don't know if Bitcoin is the answer and nobody wants to commit to that when they talk about this stuff. I mean, like thought leaders, but something like it is the answer. And it's gonna and it's gonna roll over just like the music industry, where we're suddenly gonna be like, because so the thing, the thing I guess to talk about with money is, you, we talked about the value of money being in the transactions that you can do with money, not like inherent in the thing. It is in some sense inherent in the system, in that the money has value because it represents the fidelity of this system and all that stuff. But that's like economics, and for another episode what the the transactional piece is anything that is essentially an economy of transactions so like break that down forget the cash forget the representation of value that we're trading for a physical thing like it's a transaction if i trade you goats for corn so this this type of behavior and our ability to decentralize it is applicable on some level to anything transactional. So if your job as a lawyer is that you process contracts all day and you read through the contract and you go, yep, that lines up. I will certify that it lines up. We're good, which is what a lot of lawyers get paid for. If you have a system like this, that's public in the way that we're talking about, you don't need those lawyers anymore. Computers can do it with a hundred percent certainty and not pass it off to a human until they've already done the piece that would currently cost somebody thousands of dollars. Now that's going to be borderline free. And then the people that get paid the thousands of dollars will only come into play after a certain amount of verified vagary exists in this. Like this transaction was certified as problematic. And so there won't be lawyers who just do transactions for like a deed to your house where all they're doing is going, oh, yep, everything's ship shape. Give me my money. Have your house. Like, the computers will do the ship shape part, and then the people will only come into it when we're beyond the computer's ability to figure out what the 
the solution to the mismatch is. Right. It's a further, it's another technology that furthers the removal of the middleman. And we really mean middle, middle people, the middle person. Right. And most since, since all of the things that we do in the modern world to generate value and money and buy things, since none of them are really real things that matter, what really matters is, is like your family and the hugs you get from your brothers and sisters and parents. And so those things aren't going away, but all this other nonsense is going away. Like what you it's, build... it's a big jump there, but that's, that's, the... yeah. I mean, and that's why like we got to do further episodes with better experts to talk about how the, you know, blockchain and stuff actually functions. Right. But like, I think what we got you caught up to is the idea of, of, of a decentralized system of communication and storage with persistence layered on top of it. And this idea that if you record it forever, and as long as you keep adding people to the system, which we do by having babies, the system will persist. Like we end up with this record that you can use to, to, to be able to offload to computers a whole bunch of stuff that we consider, like we think of as knowledge jobs right now. Mm -hmm. And so, so then what do you do with that, that, that life? Like we, we are so close to there being, I, I shared an article a while back called the useless class. And it was about how we're start we're 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 about to have a rollover where there's a whole lot of people with skills that currently make the money, money that they then use to f- get the hugs from their family, like <laughs> because they keep the family alive. Those jobs are going to go away, unless we actively decide to not have them go away. Which is back to the genie back in the bottle problem you're talking about. Right. Like once we make that go away because a computer doesn't better, we can't. No, it just it's just well maximize capitalism doesn't support this. You're right. Capitalism Socialism so does in our world. So we're we're at a position where the ideology of an an economic or political structure that the world has fought over for a long time that hasn't really been successful yet in a in a broad sense is kind of the direction that we have to head. And, and then, if you look at our capitalistic society, it is not a it's not pure capitalism at all. It's a joke. Right. The street light doesn't function if you don't pay taxes for someone to put a street light in. So it's always been transitioning that direction, but these technologies are coming on so fast that all of a sudden people who don't expect to be out of a job, like lawyers and doctors, are going to be out of jobs. The people at the top echelon of society who have always been so protected because of their skills and their knowledge are going to be out of jobs. It's not just people anymore who have to swing a hammer in a mine for their for their job. It's all of us. And so blockchain in particular and Bitcoin in particular forces us to look at our financial system, something that is so foundational to everything that happens on earth. And it's going to be turned upside down. The whole idea of supply and demand is turned upside down by these technologies. But it disrupts like worldview level things about how much your time is worth <laughs> if you're a lawyer and you spend time working on a project. Whether and it you makes wanna... you realize that your time actually isn't worth any more than that other person's time. And you were just being a douche. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to continue to take advantage of the fact that my time is currently valued more than certain other people's. Uh, As am I. But we've got to face that conversation. <laughs> like, it, it just, it's and it's, funny. A cha- it's hard. How do you face that when you're so aware of it, but then you also feel compelled to take advantage of it? It's, it's, it's a, that the podcast you sent me where I think it was uh, this lady who founded like a Bitcoin research institute. Brilliant. I could barely follow anything she was saying. She used like 50 words I've never heard before. Put it in the um, show notes. These these technologies are so profound now and their impact is is so incredible that that just the the confusion of the world and the astoundment, if that's a word, of the fact that we now live in comic book land. We live in fantasy where people are investing in asteroid mining. Like right now, people are investing hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars in flying private spaceships out to mine asteroids and bring precious metals back to build build robots like build better computers so that we can continue to grow this system we're sitting at a shift for humanity that is about changing the whole way we conceive of the universe but we're also like it's just kind of happening without us like there Mm -hmm. isn't it you don't have power to resist it 
And so, so then you end up having this, this conversation where people want to say, no, it can't be that way because if it is that way, I'm not, I'm not in control of it. We were never in control. I, I once again am compelled <laughs> to hold up the picture of the Borg, the little tiny Borg, little tiny locutus of Borg that I keep on my desk as a reminder an, that resistance is futile. <laughs> Strap got an article. To meditate because this is how it's going to be. And if it stresses you out, <laughs> they don't seem unhappy with the Borg. There is no concept of unhappiness. Just join and hang out on that cool cube. It's huge. There's plenty of space. What was the context earlier where you were talking about feelings? I don't remember if that was recorded or not. Feelings? It was, we were talking about the party. You were like, and then he says that he doesn't like the Red Sox, and then your feelings are hurt. <laughs> the the Borg, Borg doesn't have feelings. The Borg doesn't feel bad. They don't have feelings. They just go talk to the next Borg. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> no problem. I feel like this is a great tee up for the third artificial intelligence episode Ooh, because the third that artificial intelligence episode that we keep putting off because every time we read up on it, like the shit is changing so fast <laughs> that if we put it off for a week to read a few more things we have a completely different thing to talk about <laughs> like the topic has changed in the time that it takes us to do a different episode and then get it to you and then that's a that's a true reality right there what of it really, something incredible that's happening what it really comes down to with artificial intelligence as a conversation in the third episode past the pieces we talked about is emotion. Like we're starting to talk about what's the difference once computationally an AI can do everything that our brain can do in terms of computation. What's left is trying to understand consciousness and understand, trying to understand emotions and trying to understand if, if we, if we bring on a one-to-one -one copy of my brain is it going to have emotions or do you need a block a blockchain like record of everything that's ever happened to that AI for it to have emotions? Like we don't know. And it starts being really to me, fun <laughs> conversation about like, oh, shit, man, where does the soul reside? <laughs> hey, so have a good week. Yeah. Good luck out there. <laughs> I hope you pulled out a comfortable chair. Oh, man. The universe is fucking awesome. <clears throat> Pull up. A, and enjoy it with us. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. But for real, thanks for thanks for hanging out for another one of these. I hope we didn't end on too much of a bummer there. I mean, that stuff excites. I I, I think that that unknown is exciting. The, the, there's no bummer to be applied to this stuff because it's so big that it affects absolutely everything. It affects you in good ways, in bad ways, in... It destroys lives. It creates lives. It destroys businesses. It creates industries. Like this stuff is just so grand at this point. The idea that someone can publish a paper 20 years ago or 15 years ago that outlines in like five pages a mathematical process for upheaving the world's financial systems is staggering. And so the infrastructure that sits under that is just, it's unbelievable what, what is happening right now in, in the world with our technologies. I'm flabbergasted. Absolutely flabbergasted. <laughs> I feel like you said that word like <laughs> like you had it on a post-it under your, your monitor and you've been trying to find a place to say it. I was gobsmacked. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for hanging out for another one. Don't be bummed. This stuff is exciting. This stuff is great. We don't uh, need that last piece. We had it. Just wrap up. Special thanks. Wrap up and get, get special thanks as always to our engineers who throw us as little as a dollar an episode to help keep the ship Yay. afloat here so we can Yay. hang out on the ship and we can have these ridiculous conversations. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Enjoy your ride on the board ship because it's probably really nice on there. They don't know what I know. Didn't he like wink in an episode or something? Know. As the cutest. Wink or wank? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the Borg need to wank. <laughs> oh, man. Just stop this, resisting. For this simulation. <laughs>